millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Conversations on Dance is proud to have Yumiko as a continued partner in 2021. Yumiko is a company inspired by beauty and standards. As a leader in the dancewear industry, they take great pride in their impact as a socially and environmentally conscious brand. As a part of this commitment, they've recently transitioned their workshop to 100% green energy, a substantial step in their sustainability journey. While staying devoted to eco-friendly production practices, Yumiko remains passionately focused on connecting and lifting the dance community to promote a more loving and equal world through the power of togetherness. For our listeners in the New York City area, Yumiko's flagship store is currently open with limited hours, or you can always shop online at yumiko.com. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Yumiko to participate in their weekly giveaways and to stay updated on all things 2021. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today on the Conversations on Dance podcast, we are joined by Christopher Charles McDaniel, dancer with Dance Theater of Harlem. Christopher was born in East Harlem and started his formal training at the Dance Theater of Harlem School, later going on to train at LaGuardia School of Performing Arts and Ballet Academy East. Christopher has danced professionally with Los Angeles Ballet and Ballet San Antonio before coming full circle to join Dance Theater of Harlem. We talk with Christopher about his start in praise dance at church, his relationship with Arthur Mitchell as a student at Dance Theater of Harlem, his trajectory that ultimately led him back to DTH, and his participation in this year's Lake Tahoe Dance Festival, where he will be dancing a new commission by Durante Verzola. The Lake Tahoe Dance Festival has just announced their 2021 live outdoor performances July 27th through 30th. Tickets are on sale now by Pod Seating. See Christopher and other world-renowned dancers, including friend of the pod, Ashley Bowder, on stage in one of the most beautiful places on earth. Tickets and more information are available at LakeTahoeDanceCollective.org. That's LakeTahoeDanceCollective.org. Hello, Christopher. We're so glad to finally have you on. Yes, me too. I'm so excited to be with you all via Zoom. <laughs> it's great to have you. As we're really looking forward to chatting. Yeah. So let's let's go ahead and start. You know, with at the beginning, like we always do. Just um, when you tell us a little bit about when you first became interested in dance and what your first exposure to dance was. Cool. Uh, yeah. So growing up in East Harlem. Um, kind of always just had dance around, but um, I grew up in church and my mm -hmm. cousin Janae uh, was a praise dancer. Mm -hmm. And I just, it was the first time I really saw dance and it was lyrical, it was expressive, it was really beautiful. So um, I kind of begged her to teach me to dance. And I think I was probably like six or seven um, and she did. Then, um, so I kind of just danced with her in our little praise dance group. 
um, for like different holidays at church, different um, events or whatever. Um, and then um, I think it was like 1999, my public school went on a field trip to see Dance Theater of Harlem. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were doing a lecture demonstration, uh, which was just the first time I had ever seen ballet. And I don't exactly remember who the the moderator or the leader was, mm-hmm. but um, they were kind of leading the dancers through all the bar work. And it was just like this discipline and this beauty that I had never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I left that that experience and like begged the assistant principal of our school to get me an audition for the school. <laughs> and she was like, well, you know, if you bring your behavior up and you get your grades together, I'll call and get you an audition. And so mm-hmm. I was like, bet. So I turned into an angel child like <laughs> overnight Aww. and um, and she kept her end of the bargain. And so uh, the paperwork came in the mail eventually, I think like the next year or something. Mm-hmm. And so my grandma took me up for the audition um, and I got a full scholarship. Um, and unfortunately, the first day that I was meant to start was September the 11th, 2001. Mm. So, of course, that just did not happen. Oh, wow. um, but the following year, my grandma put me on the bus as an 11-year-old and was like, there you go. <laughs> so I went by myself. Can we go back and talk about praise dancing a little bit more? Uh, I, yeah. You know, it's not something we've ever really discussed on the podcast. And I, I'm curious, like, is there... Um, you know, what's the structure within it? Um, is there a way, like, how do you prepare for? Yeah, so you pretty much, it's like, well, some of the things that we did to prepare are what I brought into like my like jazz class or whatever when I started <laughs> teaching it. But um, but yeah, you pretty much start like moving your body and doing very simple isolations and mm-hmm. minimal stretching and just kind of moving across the space and like, you know, uh, my cousin Janae did some training um, when she was in middle school and high school. Um, and I think at that time, she was probably like 13 or something. She's only a, a few years older than me. Um, so it wasn't like a ballet class or like a modern class. It wasn't anything, um, any codified technique. Right. But it was just kind of movement. And then whatever the song was that we were going to be dancing to, that's just kind of what we did next. Sure. So it was like, okay, we warmed up. Now here's the choreography that we're gonna do. Right. Who was who was choreographing that? Were you guys kind of like doing it together, or did you have a real structure to that, or was it just really like free flowing co- collab? <laughs> <laughs> well, at first it was just her, okay. um, and so she would make up the steps, and um, and it was always very um, very much tied to the lyrics of the song. Mm-hmm. So um, almost like literally like my eyes are this, and that, mm-hmm. but people can't Sorry. see, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so there's, so there was that. Um, and then eventually as I started training through DTH and, you know, so forth and so on, um, I started understanding how to make movement and stuff happen. Mm-hmm. So then um, when I was really into it and everybody in the church saw that I was really into it, they kind of just put me out by myself. And so I started choreographing my own little praise dances. Wow. What a cool platform. You must have been so young then. Yeah. I mean, if you were going to, if you went to DTH by the time you were 11, so you were just a little baby doing your own choreography. And now thinking back on it, honestly, I'm like, wow, I was doing so much before the age of 13 that Mm -hmm. like just seemed normal because we didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So 
and now looking back, I'm like, wow, like that was, it seems so long ago, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so you mentioned that you were going to start at DTH on um, September 11th. So what, clearly that didn't happen, but were you pushed back a whole year because of that? Or like, what was the trajectory that happened uh, due to that day? Well, it was really my grandma wanting to make sure that I was going to be okay because um, she was raising me and there were five other kids in the house. So it wasn't going to be this thing where she was going to have time to take me every day and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Uh, mm -hmm. So with the city being on such high alert, Mm -hmm. she wasn't about to send her 10 year old boy out into Harlem at, at night. And I live in East Harlem. So DTH is like, I'm on right now, like when we were, during that time, we were on 99th and 2nd. Mm-hmm. Dance Theater Problem is on 152nd and Amsterdam. Right. It's way north and way west. Yeah, yeah. But there was one bus, the 101, which I still take to this day, <laughs> that would go all the way there and drop you on the corner, and then I would get to class. Uh-huh. So, but she didn't feel that it was sure. appropriate or safe. Yeah, yeah. So we waited a whole year. Yeah. yeah. So, so then you waited that year. You had this whole year of um, built up anticipation for something you really wanted to do and a year in a 10 year old's life is interminable like that is a long time so what was it like when you finally got to get into classes how did it how did that um sort of match your expectations or not well it was I don't know I feel like because I didn't it, it would have been different if I had started and then it was snatched away Sure. versus I just had never had it. Sure. So it was still like this, like waiting game of, okay, now you know that you have the scholarship coming up, you'll get to start at some point. Mm-hmm. So, and then it worked out in my head that I was waiting to finish sixth grade, go into seventh grade and start DTH at the same time. Sure. So it was more like, I was just more excited. I felt more grown up. It was like, right. okay, I'm... I'm turning 12, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or no, I think I was, I was, I was 11. Yeah. I was, I would have been turning 12. So it was like, I don't know. I was just like, okay, I'm going into middle school and I'm going into like my dream dance school. Like it was all good. You know, mm-hmm. like, there was no like angst about it, I guess. Yeah. And then once I started, it was like very different from what I thought mm-hmm. because when I was preparing for the audition, my cousin Janae and I got into the studio and I think Save the Last Dance hit the nail and I just thought I had to have this fierce solo. (laughs) And my favorite thing at the time was African dance. So Uh she was like drumming and I thought like, okay, I'm going to bring her up. She's going to drum for me. I'm going to woo them with this solo with my little expressive self. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) that was not it. It was like, (laughs) be together and do the butterflies and Uh get to your feet and so then when I got into the school, um, Arthur Mitchell had just started a boys program. So I was in a class of 25 boys. Oh, wow. Yeah. 25. I mean, that's, that's amazing now in any school. Yeah. Like, yeah. How, but that was, you know, basically 20 years ago. That, how, how did the program? <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I know. But how did how did they manage to get such a great program up and running? Like, what was the... Well, how'd they get I mean, all those boys in the it was really that lecture demonstration mm-hmm. and their community engagement program That's awesome. they would go into schools and when they would do the lecture demonstration there's a part that we still do today and i actually lead the lecture demonstration now which oh. is just incredibly 
full circle. Yeah. But we bring kids onto the stage and we just play popular music and we just let them go at it, just dance, just do whatever. And so while they're dancing, you see that some of them have a little bit of technique. So you, you know, you kind of pull one forward and you're like, hey, do first position or plie. Mm -hmm. And then you literally on this, like our tour, we have seen some little prodigies pop up on the stage. And I'm always like, somebody find their school, get their number. Yeah. I'm like, Half somebody get, grab find the teacher, parent. <laughs> find the parent, find the teacher, whoever, they need a scholarship, they need to come to the school. Um, or there, there's a kid in the audience who's like, this is my opportunity. So they'll come up sta on stage and they'll put a leg up or they'll do all cone turns or they'll do fuetes or they'll do jetes or plop into some splits or they know that this is a chance. So back then, they would see these boys who were brave enough to come on stage and dance and on the spot offer them a scholarship. Um, and the so. ability to offer, so it sounds to me like um, there's maybe a lot of scholarships that are offered and that's not always something that every organization has the ability to do and probably right. really enabled all of these kids to go to that school. So what did your scholarship mean for you and some of maybe the other dancers that you dance with? Because I think it's really important that, um, you know, audience members think about their the donations that they can give can go to these sorts of scholarships. Right, so right. tell us a little bit about that. Right. Yeah. The um, truthfully, if I didn't have a scholarship, I don't think I would have been able to happen, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, my grandma was a single parent raising five kids in a two bedroom apartment in the projects in East Harlem. So mm -hmm. going to some expensive tuition to ballet academy was just not about to be a thing. Right. So I'm really you know, fortunate that that was offered. I had scholarship everywhere I trained my whole life, which I'm really, you know, such a blessing. Mm -hmm. um, I also think that there's some boy privilege in that, but we started. That's another <laughs> podcast, no, I'm kidding. Like, yeah, exactly. We need oh, boys oh, though. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but yeah, and I think, and for the community of Harlem, um, Dancing of Harlem's position in that community, right in the middle of the block, just through the street festivals that they would do every summer outdoors, or just the teachers who lived in the area or went to the local churches and stuff, they knew the families personally. Mm. So giving them a scholarship was a, it was a very um, specific thing. We know that your kid wants to study. We know that having your kids study will benefit your family. This will give you some relief from having to find daycare or whatever, whatever it is. So, um, and I think because of the commitment to access and opportunity that DTH serves, there was a lot of funding for that. Mm -hmm. So even when the company folded in 2004, the world was like, not on our watch, we're going to bring the school back right away. Right. So, you know. And that's where those individual donors probably come in, right? To help with. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had a sponsor who, and she's, she and I are very close to this day. We were actually just um, emailing each other yesterday. Um, she was a specific sponsor when I became a professional at DTH uh -huh. um, when I was like 17 or something. And she was donating specifically to make sure that I had a salary and then, you know, had shoes and things mm -hmm. like that. So, and sometimes these donors, they make personal connections with a student when they're young and then they follow through their whole career. Um, so it is very, you know, very important that people mm -hmm. donate and stuff like that. Yeah. So let's talk about how you 
got on that trajectory to become a professional dancer when you were at the school was that um you know were you always aware of that were you always like okay this is now this is what i do i'm gonna do this (laughs) (laughs) no you know at first it started off as this thing where honestly it was like oh i'm going to dance theater parlor i'm gonna get more training to make my praise dancing better that was what it was honestly yeah Mm -hmm. and but it was also kind of presented to me in this way from the church that was like you're not going here to like let them take over your life you know you Mm -hmm. are a praise Uh dancer and so it kind of it got real bad for a second Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I think working with Arthur Mitchell every other day or something or every day that I was in that building Mm -hmm. because it, it didn't matter who was teaching class if he felt like he saw something that he needed to call out it was Arthur Mitchell's class now mm-hmm. and everybody really? just kind of, you know, yeah, it's just, that's how it was. Um, wow. And, and even with the younger he, kids at that time too. Oh, especially with the younger kids Interesting. because he felt if I set, if I set the tone while they're a kid, right? they'll know going forward. Mm-hmm. So, but I would think a lot of the kids were like kind of afraid or intimidated whereas I was just like, this man is like amazing because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know, I I always bring it back to church because it was what I knew most. Mm -hmm. There was always like the figure of like some man saying, do this, do this, this. And you, you know, respected and honored what they said and blah, blah, blah. But it was different with Mr. Mitchell. It was like when he walked in a room, he didn't have to say a word. And everything just like, everything elevated. Even the pianist was just like, "Mm?" (laughs) like, (laughs) you know, and so... So, you know, everybody just, you know, there's this lift. And so he would say to me, like, you'd be like, oh, where's that? T-? He didn't know my name for the first few years, actually. He was so bad at names. But once he knew your name, that was it. You were like, I was it. I was I was golden. Once he called me Christopher, I was like, oh, I've arrived. Ah. But um, he would be like, where's that tiny little boy that jumps high? Come show the skips across the floor or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And he would have me demonstrate things. And... The other teachers, not that they weren't nice to me because everyone was nice, Mm -hmm. but um, they weren't treating me like some like prodigy child because I really wasn't. I had terrible feet. I wasn't flexible. I could smile to save my soul. I would just smile at everybody. And I was just a happy (laughs) kid once I got to DT. But he specifically saw something that other teachers didn't see. Mm. So he would have me demonstrate stuff. He would put me in the front for the like, end of year performances and stuff. He would rearrange whatever teacher did a staging, he would rearrange it and put me in the front. And it was really strange to me. And so I felt like, okay, maybe there's something here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, um, I think it was after I had become a teenager and I was like, I I wonder if the company folded by that? No, the company was still in the studio rehearsing and stuff and I think I would just like kind of I would get up there really early because I was going by myself and I would Mm -hmm. sit in the front and I would watch the whole end of rehearsals like and it's so funny because some of the the stars of the company like Alicia and Donald and Panika, Akua all of those folks Mm -hmm. would just be looking like why is that little boy always here like what is he supposed to be doing and I'd just be eating it up like watching Serenade and all these ballets so I think the more I immersed myself in it I was just, I was just like bitten by the bug Mm -hmm. and I drank the Kool-Aid. And from there, Mr. Mitchell saw that everything he said, I was trying to do. Right. 
Um, and then as I started training other places, then it was really just like, okay, there's nothing else I want to do. I want to be a principal dancer at Dance Theater Parlov, and boom, that's going to be it. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you as a young kid kind of understand the magnitude of who Arthur Mitchell was and what he represented? No, it's just like that guy that's you know? in our studio, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then I think because I, what started to happen was I, again, I was there early all the time so I would walk around the building and there are all these statues and these these awards and these certificates and photos and articles and things about him and this is you know again I didn't have the internet so you know we're talking back in the early 2000s before okay (laughs) before my family got computers and stuff at least so as I kept reading about who he was then I was like oh my god like he's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until we were in like social studies class in um, in middle school where we were talking about the civil rights movement. And there was this timeline on the wall, never forget it. And it said like Dr. King assassinated. And then the next, the very next thing is Arthur Mitchell starts Dance Theater of Harlem. Right. And I, when I tell you, I sat up in my seat <laughs> and I just knew that like, I just had like chills all over my arms thinking back to that moment. But it was like, it was really powerful because it's mm-hmm. like, okay, I know this man. This man is my teacher. And now I know he's a huge deal. So, mm-hmm. um, and he I didn't likes know it me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, you had this goal in mind. You were, you know, that's it. I'm going to be a principal at DTH. But what, age were you when the company went through all that financial turmoil and had to sort of completely regroup, reconfigure? And, um, you know, how did that affect your personal goals? Yeah, I was 13. Um, I would have, I was about to turn 14, actually. Um, it was devastating, honestly, mm-hmm. because we got to the building and was <clears throat> met at the at the door by Levine Naidu, who, um, who's Andre Long's husband. Um, mm-hmm. And he was my uh, teacher, one of my teachers at the time, and the executive director of the company and the school. So, and director of the school as well, rather. But we were met at the door with him just with this look on his face, like, you know, just like, sorry. <sighs> and he, um, there was a newspaper on the, like the gate had been pulled down and then there's like a newspaper plastered on the, on the the door that said like dancing prone shuts down or something. I don't remember mm-hmm. the exact headline, but it was really traumatizing. Cause then I had to get my little behind back on that long bus ride and go back home. And I, you know, no cell phones or anything then. So I had to go home and then explain to my grandma. By the time I got to grandma, she had seen it on the news. So, mm-hmm. so then the next day it was just this really, um, it was really embarrassing and really just heartbreaking because everywhere you went, it was like all over. Like the, in New York, they used to give the free AM New York right, right, right. newspapers and it was in there. And it was just like, so me, all of that pride I had of being this like DTH student and stuff going into school, I knew that I was going to have to face like, you know, ridicule or like bullying maybe of like people being like, Oh, well, where's your school now? So, so there was that, that was really devastating. Um, also the timing of it was horrible because that was the year I was meant to go into high school. Mm-hmm. So, and I had just been waitlisted by LaGuardia. So 
what I decided was I would go to a different school as a vocal major, but I would dance at DTH. So it was going to be fine. Uh-huh. So what, it, what that meant with the school, shut, with DTH shutting down was that I wasn't going to dance. And that was just like, just devastating. Right. And um, I didn't want to switch to dance at the high school that I was at um, mm-hmm. because it just wasn't, uh, was it dance oriented school? Dance. Yeah. Um, so, um, but, but, you know, I, I toughed it out. It, mm-hmm. I don't remember how long it was, but there were a few months where we just were not back. Um, and a lot of the really good students left and went to Ailey or SAB. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly had no idea about any other school really, because it just wasn't on my radar. Right. Um, so it was like, I'll wait until we get back. But then when we did get back, most of the students were gone and I was like one of the only boys left. Right. Going from that big group of boys too. And so were you ever worried like, oh my gosh, it will never come back. Like I need to do something else. Or were you thinking like, well, this is it for me. Like, what were you thinking? No, I was so hopeful. Like, and my family and everyone at church was like, we're going to pray that this comes back. It's going to be okay. And yeah. um, So I felt like it was going to, it was going to work out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, I think because I didn't have any other thoughts or options, it just didn't seem like this is not going to happen for right. me. You know right. what I mean? So it just wasn't even an option. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what was your first, um, professional experience? Like had the company gotten back on its feet yet, or did you have to explore other options? Well, I left the DTH school after it came back, I left in 2007 and went to Ballet Academy East. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also at LaGuardia simultaneously. So I had kind of experienced a lot of different teachers and a different different styles. Mm-hmm. Um, Tamisha Guy and I were in the same class. Oh, really? Oh, we yeah, love we Tamisha. She's amazing. Shout out to Tamisha. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we, um, I, I just, at LaGuardia, it was a hard, it was a hard, space for me honestly because I didn't feel like I was as good at modern and stuff as all of the other dancers so I felt like this like little bunhead who was just kind of like floating around um but when I got to Ballet Academy East and was working with Darla and Peter Frame and Mm -hmm. um Francis Petrelli and all of those folks they were really like molding and I think they it was interesting because Mr. Mitchell had put this this energy into me and this like he poured into me because he knew I could perform. But then Darla and all of those teachers really put technique to back it up. Mm-hmm. And so it was really empowering in the sense of like, like, yes, he was right. You're going to be a dancer, but now we're going to make sure it happens because you're going to have mm-hmm. right technique. So that's where my head started shifting where it was like, well, maybe it doesn't have to just be dance theater of Harlem because at that point the company had folded and when they they reinstated the the ensemble, which was kind of a um, more like a second company, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they weren't doing the same sort of repertoire, so it was going to be it was going to be different, right? You know? So, um, so I didn't know where I wanted to go. I went to Boston Ballet for a summer, and Nico actually wanted me to stay there. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Mitchell was like, "No, no, 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 you're coming home. Ah. <laughs> I'm going back." <laughs> um, <laughs> And so, but upon graduating, I did just say to Mr. Mitchell, I was like, hey, listen, my family is at this point where they're like, if you're going to keep dancing, you need a job. Right. And I don't want to stop dancing. And 
I was 17. I didn't know where, you know, what I didn't really want to audition. I knew I wanted to be a DTH still, but right. like, we'll see. So anyway, long story short, I did um, call up there and he gave me a, a contract with the ensemble. And so that was my first real professional job. And and we were, the company was celebrating its 40th anniversary coming up. So it was like immediately learning all of the, the ballets. But I was put on probation by the ballet master because I was too small. So they wouldn't put me on stage. <laughs> what? Like too short or too thin? Both. Like, like I just, it was just most like... of the ballets were partnering. And, uh-huh. you know, so you need to be strong enough and tall enough to like, you know, partner your ballerinas. Uh-huh. And I say that laughing because when I look back at it, I really was like a tiny child person. <laughs> and then also because everybody affiliated with DTH knew me as the kid in the school, mm-hmm. there needed to be a, a shift in how I looked when I came back. So, mm-hmm. there, but there was none. I was just a small boy. But um, but yeah, but that was my first professional job. Mm-hmm. And we, um, somebody was let go of maybe a month into our contract. And so I was thrown on the stage like the next day. And then I was on tour the next month. Right. And awesome. yeah. yeah. And so then what happened from there? How long were you then in DTH before you decided at that point that you would move on? Yeah, I was with the ensemble for two and a half seasons. Okay. Um, so during in the middle of that, Mr. Mitchell retired mm-hmm. um, and Virginia was coming on as artistic director, okay. um, which was great because, you know, for a little DTH bunhead who like grew up idolizing Virginia Johnson. Right. You're like, oh, my God, <laughs> she's going to be my boss. And, um, and we also knew of the excellence that she had brought to Point Magazine and all of that. So it was really um right great and it was going to be something different in the same breath I was kind of feeling this like there was a rumble still um the whole time I was still going to Ballet Academy East for summer intensives or if I had weeks off I was just back in my dress coat standing at the bar with Darla just you know trying to you know keep up the technique Mm -hmm. and seeing where some of my colleagues were going like into City Ballet or ABT or Pennsylvania wherever I was like, well, you know what? I kind of want that too. And I, I want to dance balance and I want to do the full lanes. The ensemble's tour was great, but we were doing the same works. And I was feeling like I was never really going to be seen as more than like the DTH baby boy who right. did cease as well. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, I want to like, you know, develop myself differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then I just didn't want to go through another transitional period with DTH, honestly. Right. So then um, I looked at I think this dance magazine and there was an article, there was this gorgeous picture of Jennifer Ringer on the cover. And then there's a whole story about Los Angeles ballet and how like Colleen had made these amazing, um, this amazing progress, her and her husband, Thordal. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll reach out there. At the same time, I found out that my best friend was joining Los Angeles Ballet Mm -hmm. and he was going to the summer program. So I was like, okay, well, this is a good sort of timing. So I reached out and Colleen was like, she emailed back. I left a voicemail. She emailed back and was like, okay, well, we'll, um, we'll be in touch or something like that. And then I told Darla what I was wanting to do. And so then they connected. Mm-hmm. And there was some letter of recommendation and mm-hmm. <laughs> talking. 
And then Colleen calls me and is like, um, Darla speaks really highly of you and we are really interested. Can you send us a video? So I sent them a YouTube link and then they sent me a contract that following Wednesday. Wow. Um, we love to not audition in person. Yes. We love that. You, I, <laughs> I will say my entire my entire career, I don't think I've really gotten any jobs from cattle call auditions, except coming back to the company for DTH. <laughs> but we'll get to we'll get yep. to that. We'll get there. <laughs> but um but yeah, and so and at that time I was actually doing a gig with Claudia Schreier. Mm-hmm. And we were at the AWE studios when the contract came in and I just started freaking out. And um, Liz Walker was in the cast with me and she had just left Los Angeles Ballet a couple mm-hmm. years before that to go back to Harvard. Mm-hmm. So there was all this excitement and stuff. And I was, just, I think it was 19 and I was like, okay, I'm ready. Now I have to break the news to my family and tell them I'm going to Los Angeles. Uh-huh. <laughs> Cause you've been a New York baby your whole life at that point. You, you never cool. lived like for an extended period of time outside the city. Exactly. Yeah. The most I've ever been, I'd ever been away from home was Boston's five or six week summer intensive. Mm-hmm. And so this was like, and then this is all the way on the other side of <laughs> of the planet in their eyes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, and I, so we made the decision that I didn't need to join right away for Nutcracker. So it gave me time to finish off the fall touring with DTH. Mm-hmm. The plan was that I would go to LA and immediately I would start with Valentine's Western Symphony and then we would move into Giselle. Um, And so I went and immediately Colleen and I hit it off. Mm -hmm. And it was like, like, because I was just so excited about the work and her classes are so hard. And that was exactly what I felt like I was missing. So um, so it was like the hard classes, the rehearsal process, the casting going on the wall, the whole like thing of like being in a bigger ballet company. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous. Um, and, and immediately. Did you like the allowing... casting going up on the wall? <laughs> I, I think I you did excited. because <laughs> I didn't like there was nothing for like I, I knew that I was just doing I was there to specifically brought in to do the quarter ballet of this and the quarter ballet of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there was nothing for me to be like, oh, did uh, I get the part? Okay. Right. Until, <laughs> um, yeah, eventually it was like, don't put casting up on the wall before you talk to me, please. Right, because right, I right. Can't. <laughs> I can't. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and, you know, we just connected well because I'm kind of like, I work really hard, but I also love a light environment. I like for mm-hmm. people to laugh. I like for you know it to be fun. Mm-hmm. And even though Colleen can be very intense, she is such a, a jokester, such a prankster. She loves to laugh and have fun mm-hmm. as well. And and so I would go into class and I would work really hard, and she'd be like, "Oh, good, McDaniel." I'm like, "Girl." And, and <laughs> she just thought it was so funny because everybody else would be like, "Oh, thank you." Yeah, yeah. and they'd walk away and. But I just was being me and I, you know, mm-hmm. happy to be there. Yeah. And I think, especially because I was brand new, a lot of people who had been there had been through some hard stuff. Mm-hmm. So their approach to things was very different from me. So I think for her, it was refreshing to have someone be really excited to be a part of everything mm-hmm. and just do what they're told and be happy about it. Um, but they did give me the opportunity to learn the peasant paw in Giselle. Oh, great. Um, which was like, you know, my first year and being like kind of like a supplemental dancer. Mm-hmm. It didn't 
you know, some of the other boys were not happy about that, honestly. Mm. Um, it'd be like that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but also, one of the coolest things that happened, we were doing Western Symphony, and um, one the second movement principal, this is when they were actually, they had staged the full third movement as well. Mm. Like, yeah. Like all yeah, we love the third movement. Period. That's my favorite movement. And I it's think Miami so and cool. LA were the only places that still do it. Yeah, I but then so. we ended up pulling it maybe like wow. a week before. Yeah, and um, why? Because she of kind the trust? of no, because the ballerina who was doing it, she hurt her foot or something mm. like that. Mm. And it wasn't Isabel, un- was it? Did they let Isabel? No, it? they should have. Isabel was the understudy, <laughs> and <laughs> here's what happened. So Isabel and I got put together for peasant pa, uh-huh. and we were kind of working on it then. And then Colleen said to me, kind of in the hallway, like. Oh, work on third movement with her on the side. Yeah, mm-hmm. and but I she thought had she a was going to put you in third lady. movement when you mentioned your cease. I was like, <laughs> Colleen's going to put you in third movement. Yeah. No, I, it wasn't, but I did get because I was doing fifth movement core, fourth movement. Yeah, fourth movement core. Fourth movement core. Sorry, <laughs> where did I get fifth movement? Core? I like the, it's the last movement, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> the one you just make up. Um, but yeah, and. I was doing the fourth movement core, but then the second movement principle was sick. So Colleen was pulling one of the guys out of the first core, mm-hmm. the first movement to do second movement mm-hmm. principle. There was already an, a, an apprentice learning the first movement core, but Colleen came to me specifically and said, I know that you learn quickly. I need you to go into first movement tomorrow night mm-hmm. for a tech rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. So, but again, no, actually she said it. Yeah, she said it when we were in the studio. And it was so funny because I, at Dance Theater of Harlem, because I was the small one who just was always being told what to do by the older ballerinas, I just naturally learned everybody's parts. So, but I didn't think about it that for her, it was weird to see somebody in the corner doing that when they weren't oh, casted to, uh-huh. you know? So, so it didn't make sense to me that like, like she saw me doing it and it was like, oh, well, I know that you learned this and blah, blah, blah. Right. So I'm going to throw you, you know. So anyway, right. so then the next day on stage in the theater, I went on for first movement and went and changed my clothes and then did the right. fourth. And it was so cool to me because it was the first time as a professional doing Balanchine and then having Colleen Neary trust me to do that. Mm-hmm. But then the, the the principal who was sick was able to, you know, come back and do the show. So, you know, we went back to yeah. normal. And this was for opening night, too. Right. Then things get crazy, right? One of the guys in the first movement, opening night, for that final tour, uh, tour mm-hmm. day, the shoulder sit. Yeah. He, uh, the ballerina came down. He, like, couldn't Ooh. keep her up. And Colleen was not having it. Ooh. So I probably shouldn't say this on the podcast, but anyway, she had me come in halfway through first move for the rest of the run to replace that dancer to just so I would do the finale step and the, and shoulder, the, set. the shoulder set. So every night I like did half of first movement and then, and they had to make a costume for me because there weren't enough. So uh-huh. the wardrobe like made a shirt for me to do that. Oh my and God. I was like, and I remember saying to Colleen, I was like, don't you think that, Somebody's gonna notice a tiny little brown boy running across the stage <laughs> and this tall white dancer running off the stage. <laughs> like, <laughs> but you know, we she wanted what happened. she wanted. 
She wanted the shoulder sets to stay up. Okay. I want right. Colleen on the podcast too. She's I I love her. Yeah. Did you yeah, ever I mean, think? Sorry. Uh, did you ever have Pat Neary? Yes. Okay. Oh yes. She is yeah. the treasure. She's the national she treasure. <laughs> she really Pat is. staged Agon on me actually. Okay. Wow. And um, I think at that point, so you know, I I had a, an, an amazing time in LA Valley. Honestly, I really did. And things got things got a little bad if you will mm. um as i started having injuries and stuff like that so i think it caused colleen and thornall to feel like they couldn't trust me anymore mm. because i was this like very reliable dancer and now in hindsight i'm like okay that's ridiculous like i'm a human you get injured stuff happens but um but yeah when it was time to do agon pat came in to stage it and I thought just off, and I'm going to be very, very real when I say this. I assumed when Agon was announced, I assumed I was going in and doing the Potato because I was Arthur Mitchell's kid. Mm-hmm. And because there were some things that were said to me, like, oh, well, you're Black, so we can't have you do this part in party scene. Yeah, that like actually happened to me. Um, and this is my, my first season. I was told I couldn't be in the party scene because... It didn't make sense to have okay, an iteration. Everyone would couple. have to suspend disbelief. You're watching a show called The <laughs> Nutcracker. Like, I don't. It's about yeah. a Nutcracker that comes to life, right? I don't, I, I don't think the audience is going to be so shook by the black parent that has a white kid. I think it's really okay. Right. <laughs> uh, and that was the thing. It was like, well, there were no, there are no black kids in the school, and there, <laughs> there's no black woman. I was literally the only black dancer in the company, so it was like we can't have those kind of couples is what was said to me. Now, me being me, I was like, okay, it kind of makes sense, whatever. And before me, Damian Johnson, friend of your pod. We love Damian. Great, uh, another pod. And Monica <laughs> Stevenson, they were, you another know, I'm like that, that COD, <laughs> like nerd. Um, <laughs> they were in the company together at one point. Mm-hmm. So Colleen, like said, like, you know, like they were a couple in party scene and, you know, so forth and so on. Um, and they just didn't have a kid. And I was just like, oh, my God, is this really happening? But they, when it was my turn, it was like I was the Harlequin doll. And then I was switching cast with another dancer. So it was just you go into his party parent spot. But as they were looking at it, it's like, oh, that doesn't look right. The thing that made it bad was that they take me out. And so I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. I don't have to do party scene. Yeah, bless that you don't have a party scene. I guess that's the only silver line. <laughs> but then it gets worse. Uh-huh. <laughs> minutes later, when we're on a, a, normally we have a five minute break. Just for a 10 minute break, goes upstairs and reprints casting. And when casting goes up, I'm now casted to learn the butler. Mm. Yeah, let's have a moment of silence for that because no. Oh my god. These people they just like I don't know what Yeah. Yeah, and I I don't know what it was. Maybe it was my like the inner Arthur Mitchell coming out of me, but immediately I was like, this is not okay, and I'm going Mm -hmm. to defend myself, which is something that I've been talking about a lot in these different inclusion conversations. There needs to be somebody to vouch for you and to fight for you because mm-hmm. I think that set the tone strangely. And this was my very first season, um, or actually, it was my second season. Rather, it was my first Nutcracker. Right. Um, so I knocked on the door and was like, <laughs> "Hey, excuse me." <laughs> right. Like I was like, "So you told me I couldn't be in the party scene because I was brown, but like, 
it's okay for me to be a brown butler? You like, you think that's okay? And it flustered everybody in the room. Like, <laughs> but, 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 but you, you don't have to do it. It's just, it's a great role to learn. What? Honestly, Not... the choreography was like, was kind of cute. Oh, oh okay. there is so, choreography. Had you, yeah. Oh, like, okay. no, the butlers were like a whole, like, oh, a whole thing. But I'm like, if you had not made it about my skin color, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But I was always so in, yeah. And and honestly, before I left, Mr. Mitchell said to me, he was like, when you get to any other company and if it's a majority white, here's what they're going to be looking at and here's what's going to happen to you. So he right. taught me my gel colors for the lights on the side. He told me how to shift my makeup so that I wouldn't show up looking different or looking bad with like the, the more pale skins. Mm -hmm. He gave me a pair of fake arches. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he made That's sure so that I knew what I was getting myself into because that, he knew what he had done. How did that conversation kind of start with him that he would bring that up to you? And like, did you have a sit down in the office or was it just like little by little, he taught you these kind of things or was he like, this is what you're going to need? Well, so he, there were, you know, little bits by little bits throughout my time with him, but mm -hmm. When I did express to him that I was thinking of like going elsewhere, yeah. um, this was right as he was like transitioning out, he sat me down, like pulled me out of rehearsal and we had to sit down wow. and he was like, you are, excuse me, you're a great dancer. You have a lot of energy. You have grit. You have all of these wonderful things, but you have bad feet. And if you go somewhere where you're just the only black person, they're going to look at that and that's going to be your cross to bear the rest of your life and stuff like that. And honestly, it was really annoying to hear that. Mm -hmm. But because he said it, I knew it was right. And I knew it meant something. Right. And he, and then, I mean, he told me other people who he danced with at City Ballet, some superstars who he made what padding for so that they had prettier you know, presenting mm -hmm. feet and stuff. But the thing beyond just wearing a fake arch that it taught me was that once I did start putting them on, a lot of our repertoire, you don't wear tights. So you can't wear fake arches. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. nowadays there are all sorts of, you know, things to cover them with. Yeah. Right. But, um, but then he saw that I started presenting my feet differently because you see them look a certain way and then they're, you know, the fake arch is gone. Now you have your real feet. How do you use them? How do you present them? Mm -hmm. So he was really about that whole life, you know? Mm. Um, so by the time I got to LA Ballet and certain things were being said, I was like, I know better than this, mm -hmm. but I wasn't, um, I didn't have any backing physically in the building with me. Right. There was nobody that was going to speak up and say, Hey, what you just did was not right. Well, you, you fact, didn't even have another dancer in the company that was experiencing the same thing. Exactly. You couldn't even have that sort of like companionship at least. So I'm sure that was really difficult to have to just vouch for yourself and you alone. Right. And then if I, if it had gotten out, then it would have, then it, the fear was, okay, well now he's pulling the race card or mm -hmm. he's just being dramatic or something like that. So it was like, like, wow, I'm really out here on my own. So, um, but all of that to go back to Pat, when she came to set Agon, she took she took class with us. She didn't just watch class. Oh, yeah. oh and in point she, was, okay. she was my bar partner. I loved it. Okay. <laughs> Full out with feeling, warmed up and ready. She brought a, a portable heater, sat it by the piano, 
knocked somebody out of their bar spot and was yeah. like, the, here's where I stand. Okay. Oh and, so um, and I think there was some combination we were doing next to each other. And she's just like, that was really nice, McDaniel. And it was like, oh, hey, okay. Hey. I mean, that um, means something coming from her. She is not one to mince her words. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my God, like, Mary, like, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I also, let me say, I heard their names a lot at GTH because mm-hmm. Mr. Mitchell danced with Pat in different right. ways and stuff like that. So I, and, you know, and being the little geek that I was, it was just like, I know them. Mm-hmm. But anyway, and so once casting for Agon went up, I was the second understudy for one of the principals for the first pas de trois. Mm-hmm. And, but because of who this principal was, he was like the biggest superstar to me. So I was like, okay, well, this is never going to happen, but I'm just happy to be in the room. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't one of those ballets. Like there were some ballets where Colleen would let people ask to understudy or invite people to understudy. But then there were some that were treated very, very special. This is a very, you know, this is a ballet that not everyone gets to be in the room for. Like Mm -hmm. literally close the doors and all of that kind of stuff. Right. So to be in the room for Agon was like a huge deal for me. And I think Colleen knew it would mean something to me. Mm -hmm. So they let me learn it. Then in class, maybe a week or so later, that principal sprained his ankle unfortunately and then pat was like well pat Pat came as soon as i came up the stairs pat was sitting at this like little table that everyone would kind of (laughs) congregate at it was like daniel i'm going to tell you before colleen does you're going into agon today so make sure you're ready and she smiled and i was Uh like (gasps) so i went in the dressing room and i think i was about to put on a blue shirt that day when i tell you i put on the costume (laughs) i was like white shirt I mean, you never know. That could have been your performance. I know you ended up doing it, but you got to live your life in the moment. And that's yeah. your show. I love exactly. that. And I mean, I was a dress code wearer anyway. Like I didn't yeah. wear junk. Well, we weren't allowed to wear junk. Right. Michael is that, with you. I'm the same. I still to this day, if I take class, I'd say I'm in a plain color shirt, black tights and no anything. White shoes. That's it. Yes. I remember you got to see what you're looking at. Class. Yeah, you got it like yeah. a clean look. And that's how Mr. Mitchell always wanted us anyway. Mm-hmm. Now it's different. I look like a, a Eskimo going into class trying to get these things working. But but yeah, so anyway, that day I went in and I I did I did the whole ballet for the first time. And um and it was one of those weird moments where I was nervous, but I was so excited and mm-hmm. I felt like this is what I've been waiting for is, mm-hmm. you know, this big level of a ballet. And I just felt Mr. Mitchell the whole time. So, so it was really epic. And then fast forward, the casting goes up. I was not cast to dance, to actually dance mm-hmm. it, but I wasn't upset because I felt like I had done it. Right. right. I really felt like studio. it because we always do full out and all of that. Yeah. But then another opportunity presented itself because there was going to be an outdoor festival that the company was doing down at the music center and the program was just going to be Rubies and Agon. Mm-hmm. I was first cast in in the core of Rubies. So I was like, oh, well, I'm not going to get to do Agon. And they're going to fly, you know, the principals in to do whatever. But one of the principals had a conflict. So they had the principal who was doing my spot do the pot de with Alin. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, okay, McDaniel, this is your show. Like, you're going on. There were like 4,000 people out there. It was an outdoor performance. Uh-huh. I was also filming this documentary about black men in ballet at the time. I just like it was about to turn twenty three. I was it was just an amazing mm-hmm. 
time. So I remember when that happened because I think you just put a photo on social media and I was just like, what, what a beautiful full circle moment. Cause it was, you know, we all, if anyone that follows you on social media knows like what Arthur means to you and that you had a very special relationship. So to be in a ballet that was so significant to him and, um, you know, have that moment, it was a really beautiful thing to see from the outside even, but I'm sure to experience it yourself oh, must've you. just been, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like covered in goosebumps thinking about it. Um, and then also that weekend, this box of books appeared in, on my doorstep and it was the book that I had written in uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul. And it was like, congratulations, you're now a published author. And it was like this crazy weekend of like, mm-hmm. things uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so briefly, we want to talk about you then coming back to Dance Theater of Harlem. How did mm-hmm. you ultimately end up there again? Full circle yeah. again. <laughs> Full circle. Yeah. I did two years as a soloist with Ballet San Antonio mm-hmm. and, um, once I resigned from there, because there were a lot of similar issues, mm-hmm. um, I was kind of feeling a, a pull to come back home. Mm-hmm. And I, I really didn't know what the pull was, but I just felt like, oh, I want to get back home. My brothers were having babies. Like the family was, my grandma was getting older. My mom was around. She was doing well. Like, so I was just feeling this pull. So I took the job in Charleston, which lord have mercy um, we, we were supposed to do a, a download yeah. on that but you know t- times have passed and times have passed. You're on to- god is good yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> so but it was while i was there that i was like okay this is not what it was supposed to be um and so i was like okay i've been wanting to go back to dance theater and i feel like at the end of my career i want it to finish at gth i want to take everything that i've learned everything that i've gathered from these other places and bring it back home Mm-hmm. Even as a teacher, as a, a writer, all of those things, I wanted to bring it back home mm-hmm. and pour it back into my own community and my own family and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And so as I like sent an email to Virginia, there was like an e-blast that went out that like DTH needed men right away because one of their lead dancers left to go to Broadway. And so I thought, oh, let me just email and this will be fine. They know me. They've known me since I was 11. And Virginia's like, oh, Christopher, it's so great to hear from you. I'm so glad you're doing well. We've been following you. Thanks for staying connected, blah, blah, blah. We're definitely interested. So the audition is this and this date in New York at this time. And I was like. A what? You're going to do me like that? I got an audition. (laughs) And then because it was a Sunday date, I knew it wasn't like a company class. So I was like, oh, my God, like. You're going to be number this 17. This is really happening. <laughs> right. Girl. And so I was like, and then because of the situation in Charleston, I was like, I had no money. I couldn't mm-hmm. afford a plane ticket. So I had to send an email back like, hey, I can't fly to New York. I'm sorry. I can't do it. Will you accept a video? And I didn't get a, a response in time. But what happened was one of my good friends just bought me the flight and was like, no, this is your chance. You're going mm-hmm. to the audition. So I went, I was number 25, I did the audition, (laughs) although when she walked into the room, she gave me this big hug, and it was like we hadn't seen each other in years, and you know know that feeling in an audition, especially Mm -hmm. if it's like a musical theater audition, that annoying person who's just like, ah, I I know know you, and you're just like, (laughs) You felt that in the room. (laughs) I felt that, and I felt it for myself. I was like, okay, go in, be chill, you don't, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not you don't know anything you don't know anybody like chill out so anyway 
So when she did that, I was like, oh, there's a target on my back now. Uh. <laughs> but, but the, and they also had put me in a specific spot in the front on, on a front bar, which I would never stand in like straight on. I need to be sideways for myself. Mm-hmm. But that's a different story. Oh, so anyway, they, um, we did the audition. It was a six hour audition. Ooh. Yes. Did you get to do your solos this time that you had prepared when you were 10? (laughs) (laughs) No, but they did decide, oh, Christopher, you learned Chai Pa at LA Ballet, right? And it's like, yeah. Like, okay, well, we want to see you do the variation. And I was like. Out of nowhere? Well, like, I want to see you give me an hourly rate for this. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, just like, what? (laughs) But the the worst part is that me being. The, oh my god sometimes I just don't know what I'm thinking but I say to the ballet master Keith I'm like well which ending do you guys do here in New York instead of just like doing ton do fourth pirouette double tour down yeah mm-hmm. why would I give him the option to make me do double tour pirouette double tour pirouette mm-hmm. and of course he asked for double tour pirouette mm-hmm. and I was like dang it I'm this is why I'm in trouble like why would I do that <laughs> So, but then by some sheer miracle, I like bust the variation out. I don't think it was the best thing that I've done, honestly, but did it. Then they had us do some partnering stuff and then we had a meeting and they were like, Hey, so we're ready to like, bring you back. You look great. We're proud of how you're using your feet and all of these things that they had been seeing in me before they were like, wow, you've really changed these things. And then Virginia goes, except one thing. I was like, (laughs) like you're still not spotting your head enough when you turn <laughs> like okay sis well oh, i thought it was gonna be that. cute she's gonna be like you're still short and you'd be like yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> nope she gotta get that one thing okay well but all right virginia i'll like, spot my head okay. now <laughs> yeah i was like well we'll see what happens uh-huh. but then like yeah so i i then went back to charleston to move out of my place to resign and then i came back a couple days later um and learned six ballets and then we went to europe the next month mm-hmm. or the next week or something yeah that's so and i've been back yeah i feel so blessed honestly my whole career has just like like and i think again because i grew up so religious and stuff even though i don't necessarily subscribe to a lot of the the dogma and this and that i do feel like there's been a blessing over my career this whole time because if i just look at some of the the conversations and the tables that I get to sit at and mm-hmm. the fact that I was hired at SAB and I never went to SAB as a student and mm-hmm. different things like that. I, I just, you know, creating my position at DTH with social media and digital marketing, you know, all of these things that I've been getting to do um, in a lot of places, you just wouldn't get to do that. Um, so I just, I just feel really grateful for that. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we only have a few minutes left, but we really wanted to talk to you about the Lake Tahoe Dance Festival that was just yes. recently announced, and you'll be returning this year. So can you tell us a little bit about your um, past with that organization and why you really uh, love being a part of that festival? Yeah, so this will actually be the first time I'm there for the summer festival. Okay. Um, all the other times that I've been um, up there, it's been during the winter. So like snowy, beautiful Tahoe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I met Kristen when I was like maybe 15 at LaGuardia. Um, she and Damien used to come and rehearse with Deborah Wingert. And of course, me being me, I would just sit in the doorway and watch them rehearse the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, in 2014 or so, she reached out via Facebook and brought me up to set one of the ballets I had choreographed at LA Ballet. Um, so I went up and taught and set this ballet. 
Um, and that's where it really started. And then she, we kept in touch and she brought me back this past or December of 2019. Uh, <laughs> the year for, before the last year. Right, exactly. We don't know her. We don't know her. But yeah, and so when she created her Nutcracker, she uh, created that on me. So that was really special. I mean, she even had the Nutcracker head, a brown Nutcracker head, which like seems like weird to some people, but that's a big deal for me because most people would not go that far but anyway so Kristen is somebody who I just have a very big level of respect for so the opportunity to perform in the summer festival I'm just like really thrilled about Mm -hmm. what are you going to be dancing Um, I'm dancing a new solo by uh, Durante Mm Brazola. he is uh, a friend and also I just really love his choreography and the energy of his work and uh, the musicality uh, the bending, the just the energy of his his stuff just makes me really, really happy. I see all, all of his stuff online. I haven't seen anything in person, mm-hmm. but um, we were both on faculty at CPYB uh, 2018. Mm-hmm. So we got to kind of hang out a little bit there. Um, and so that kind of just set, set mm-hmm. the tone for like, I want to work with you. Oh, so when the pandemic was in place, I kind of reached out and was like, hey, let's let's make something together because I just built this little ballet studio at my grandma's place. Um, and so we started something over Zoom and now Tahoe is going to uh, finish the commission and um, we'll do a full solo. That's so great. Are you, what does it mean to you to going to Tahoe this summer that you're going to be with artists that, you know, you're not from DTH, like from all over, like to have that sort of like, you know, artistic convention that we've all been missing. Like, are you super pumped to be in Tahoe <laughs> yes. for that? I am. Yeah. I, I think because of like taking Willie Berman's class and other classes at steps, being around other dancers who are like cream of the crop just feels really good. It's, it's not as intimidating as it used to be to be in the room with, you know, some of these big names. Um, but it's, it's exhilarating because you see up close how they make the process happen. Mm -hmm. And you see that their process is different or similar to yours. You see the artistry up close and personal. You see the, the triumphs, you see the, the trials. It's just so exciting to me. Um, And yeah, it also kind of feels there's like a little level of validation in like, you know, I'm going to hold my own with this group of Mm -hmm. dancers. And it also, for, for me to represent DTH in that way is important because, you know, sometimes I feel like because our company is mostly on tour, these other dancers don't really get to see us. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it is important to me. Well, that's, it's a really exciting thing. Like the, just imagining in-person performances oh. at a beautiful venue, um, you know, wish we could be there. Maybe we will be there. Maybe we'll show up. Yeah. Okay, well, we can't let you go without a lightning round. Just really fast. Yeah. You have time. The fastest. Practice for this. No. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Favorite onstage moment. Um. Well, I would say was kind of twofold. Like Agon was great because Colleen came back after the show and was like, "You look like Arthur Mitchell." So I almost passed out because that was amazing. But 
another really amazing moment was when I did the role of Peter Pan at uh, at Ballet San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my first full length ballet as like you know the the lead, and I was like getting ready for my first flight on stage. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends was there, like the other Peter, my friend Ian, he was just like, you got this. And I remember just feeling like, ah, and flying on the stage. And mm-hmm. that was just a really amazing moment. <laughs> uh, what is your dream ballet to dance? I would love to be Albrecht or Romeo. Okay. Yeah, it's um, not very small board parts, but <laughs> it can be. Is, it's your dream. <laughs> is there a COVID survival something that has gotten you through this pandemic that you can't live without now and that you'll continue into future years? Oh, that's a good one. Huh. I think having nap time. Okay. That's essential. Yeah, I, like that. I was, I was never a napper. I just worked <laughs> so much. And throughout the pandemic, I worked like all the time. Mm-hmm. But then as I started to kind of feel a little burnout, I was like, you know what? If I put a little siesta in the middle of my day, yeah. <laughs> things might be okay. So well, that runs. But yeah. So. Awesome. Beautiful. And on well, that note, I'm going to take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so, so much. We could have talked to you for hours. I'm sorry that we had to cut it a little short, but no, we had so much good. fun. Thank you for thank your you time. So Thanks for having me. It's great. <laughs>